putting our customer first. If that means we have to let go of certain stereotypical things that companies should do, that's okay because we are not here for short term. We're here for the long term. You're listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. It's Thursday, and in these episodes, we focus on one of two things. We'll either be sharing one of our favorite and most actionable talks from a Flip My Funnel event, or you'll hear Sangram and someone from the Terminus team discuss how they're getting better in a specific functional area of Terminus's business. And remember, like Sangram always says, without a community, you are simply a commodity. Here we go. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Flip My Funnel podcast. My name is John Ruggi, and I'm taking over for Sangram on the show for the Takeover Tuesday series, where we're doing a four-part series on category creation. Now, this is the last part in the series, and I actually don't need to introduce you to today's guest, because if you listen to the show at least once before, you already know and love Sangram Bajre, co-founder and now chief evangelist at Terminus Sangram. How are you doing today? I am good, man, and I'm so very grateful for you to take this challenging task of one, interviewing so many incredible people on this whole idea of category leadership, which I'm very passionate about and then happy to chat about it, but also as a community member, just taking over this responsibility of interviewing and doing these interviews, I think it's phenomenal. So thank you so much for doing this. Hey, my pleasure. You know, the gratefulness all comes on this end because it's not very often where you get the chance to do episodes like this on, on a top podcast. So grateful for the chance as well. Same here. So, you know, I'm not sure that I, I set myself up really well by picking you as my guest, because it's kind of like, if you're going to showcase your basketball skills, you don't want to like go one-on-one against Michael Jordan, <laughs> but, I, but I pick one of the best podcast hosts out there as my guest. So I'm, I'm hoping that I can at least live up to like halfway of your standards of, of podcast interviews. You are going to crush it. Can't wait. Can't wait. Uh, hopefully I can answer and be a good guest for you. Well, I, don't, I wouldn't have picked you if I didn't think that would be the case. All right. So look, we're going to talk about category creation today. And I know you've done a thousand and one interviews on account-based marketing, Flip My Funnel. So we're not going to go into that in depth today, but I feel like we should at least just lay the foundation for that. So we have context, just in case anyone out there hasn't heard of Terminus or ABM or all the good yeah. stuff you're doing with Flip My Funnel. Well, I mean, uh, if you haven't heard about Terminus and ABM, I'm doing a really bad job of marketing out in the marketplace. So hopefully that's not, that's a rare commodity out there. Uh, but at the end of the day, I feel like ABM is nothing more than a focused way of doing marketing and sales. Know your accounts, go after them, engage them in the way they want to be engaged, and then turn them into customers and hopefully advocates, right? It, it, in many ways, it's like going to be, I, I feel three years from now, we're going to look at ABM and say, that is how B2B should be, right? It, it, it's not going to be like a new strategy. ABM is B2B in, in many ways. So I, I feel like three years from now, this would be like, oh my goodness, who was this crazy guy talking about this is a new idea? It is what B2B is. And Terminus happens to be the company that I co-founded and we do a whole bunch of things to enable doing account-based marketing. But I personally believe that no software can help you do account-based marketing from end to end. So if you have Terminus, for example, and if you think you're doing ABM, you're wrong. You're not doing ABM full, full on. You are doing pieces of it. ABM is 100% a strategy which means you have to get your sales team and the sales tools and the marketing team and the marketing tools and alignment. All of those things have to work together. So it's not like email or marketing automation. 
it is actually a strategy, not just a tactic. Yeah. So I love what you said about how in a few years, your, your hope is that ABM doesn't seem like a new thing. It, it just is the thing, which is, I think, a great example of kind of how to define a category in many ways. Because when we think of existing categories, in many cases, they're just best practices that you just do if you want to do things right in your world. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you, the, the rant that I typically have on category leadership is this. Every category leading company that I know of or think about them as a category are community first, which is one of the reasons why we always say without a community, you're a commodity. And if you look at and look at Dream, the Salesforce, they created Dreamforce. You look at HubSpot, they created Inbound. You look at Gainsight, they created Pulse. You look at Terminus, we created Flipmaf. I mean, it's, it's almost like, and, and I stumbled upon it. It's not like that we were so genius and smart that we just thought about it and created it. No, no, no. It happened, we, we just happened to fall. I just bought this $8 domain called Flip My Funnel. And since nobody would sponsor Terminus event in the early days, I said, would you sponsor Flip My Funnel events? And they said, yes. And then all of a sudden it became a thing and they led to multiple events and podcasts and the book and all that kind of stuff. But the point being that we were so crazy and still are about the problem. And we have, fall, we have fallen in love with the problem so much that product is just a byproduct. We, you would never hear me talk about Terminus all the time. You would always hear me talk about this challenge or the problem that we're having because if we can get enough number of people talking about the problem, the best product and the right products will emerge and win and the market is big enough for all of us to, to have a share in it. But if the problem doesn't exist in the minds of your customers and future customers, then there is no category of one, right? So, so you have to have this incredible amount of media. Competitors are super important to have a category because if you are if you're the only person talking about it, it's not going to exist. You want analysts to be starting to talk about it. You have to influence G2 Crowd. I remember in the very early days, I was having this call with G2 Crowd telling them, we need to create an ABM. Don't put us in display advertising bucket. We are an ABM. And they're like, well, there is no category ABM. Aha, exactly. Let's create one, right? Like So you have to fight all these battles in the early on to build a a category. That's one of the first reason why G2 Crowd had one. Now they have six ABM style things in their listing. So all that to say is that I feel like we have to fall in love with the problem more so than the product and look at the product as a byproduct to solve. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned the, the problem and a focus on why that's so important. You mentioned community. You mentioned some very tangible like identifiers of a category like G2 Crowd saying that this ABM software is a thing. Is like is that how you define a category, or what's what's your take on when a category is actually a category versus just a nice idea in someone's head? The majority of them is just a nice idea in many people's head. Like everybody, it's so funny when people say, "Well, you know, I thought about that problem or that thing like ten years ago." I'm like, "Great, so did X, Y, Z, big deal." I, I think in many ways, a category is is born when you give it a name that it didn't exist before or wasn't popular enough. Mm-hmm. You create a movement around that or help foster a movement around it where people are now starting to have more conversations on it. And maybe the most crazy way to, to look at that is, is Google Trends. Like until 2015, there wasn't even a small blip on Google Trends on the phrase account-based marketing. And starting 2015, when we launched the book, when we got um, the Flip My Funnel conference going and all this thing, it literally went up and to the right, which means that there are a lot more people interested in it. You even had our competitors 
sponsor and be as keynote at the Flip Mafia conference. And even today at the Flip Mafia conference, we are not doing a product keynote. We are a booth just like everybody else. Really? No question. So, so we just took a very different approach than even existing category leaders. Like in, I know at Dreamforce and at you know, HubSpot are inbound. I mean, obviously the, the founders do give a keynote about the product. We don't even do that. We just said, you know what? This is an industry conference. We don't want to make it a user conference and let our competitors sponsor and be on it because the more people are again talking about it better. And the last I checked, there are over 100,000 jobs in the category of account-based marketing. So to me, when you have enough number of jobs in the marketplace that are looking for that skill set, there are media and, and Forrester and Gartner are starting to create magic quadrants that start putting different technologies in it. And there are enough amount of conferences like Noctopo is doing and Sue's decisions that are now focused very much as a track called ABM. Then you know that you have done the part of helping build a category. Now you get into a new phase, which is category leadership, which I take, I think about that as a very different thing than creation of a category. Mm. Yeah, I think you're the first guest I've, I've talked to who's actually broken down that the difference between category creation and, and category leadership. And now you're still in the category creation phase. And you, and you talked a, m- a moment ago, you mentioned how like at your conferences, you'll bring in your competitors and they're happy to, to do that. So, you know, I, you, if you go out in the, the marketing landscape, you'll hear people, everyone's got a different take on competitors. Like some say you should ignore them. Some say they're good, they're bad. What it sounds like you've, you've really embracing them. So I'd love to hear like more about that and like why you feel that's the case. Well, I mean, there's no category of one. Uh, if you wouldn't have done that, nobody wanted to put in, but putting an event together takes a lot of money and time and energy and resources as a startup company. So everybody knows that. And even if you're a big company, that, that is, costs a lot of time and money. But if you can bring five of your competitors together and say, let's pitch in and do this thing, now you have five times the more audience that you possibly can pull into it. And as long as you all agree that none of you are going to pitch your product, you're just going to educate the marketplace, then you have five times the audience that is talking about it. So together we are better, stronger. And over a period of time, people will fall away. Like some, some now competitors don't want to sponsor with my funnel, which is fine. So it automatically starts to weed out. But there are two kinds of conferences people go to. Either you go to a user conference, which is all about them and their product, their innovation, and, and it, it, there's only certain good old that you can have in that. And then there are other types of conferences, which is industry conference, where you're educating yourself and understanding of bringing the whole team. We felt like we probably should go build more of the other type of conference where we bring all of these people to educate and learn. Because quite frankly, because it is a strategy, it will never it, it will never help our customers to grow and be successful with all the learnings about terminus. They will actually fail if they only learned about terminus because then they would just do certain things that we do as a product. And we are thinking of more things, but we are, we, we cannot have all those things today developed in our product. So it, it doesn't help our customers win, which is ultimately what our goal is. So if you want our customers to be wildly successful, we have to bring other people in because they have the right ingredients. And over a period of time, we may acquire some of them. Uh, some of them may go out of business. Some of them features we may actually put in as a part of our platform. And that's all fair game. But to deprive our customers to not win because we are not ready, I, I think it's very self-serving. Yeah, yeah. So now you've got a number of companies that, that participate in the ABM space. But back in the day, old school Terminus, 
we, there was one company in, in account-based uh, marketing and that was you when you coined the term. And so how did that transition look like? Were you, like, what were you doing to encourage other companies to get on board with that idea and that uh, nomenclature? Well, so I did not coin the term as much as I would love. I, I did I did write the book on account marketing. The first book, now there are like probably five books in the market, but the very first book on ABM was, uh, I wrote in 2015, 2016. So, and the term was coined by ITSMA, I think in the 90s, but it really didn't go any further as part of their recent report. In the 90s? Yeah, I think it's, it, I think it's the 90s or early 2000 or something like that. It, it was okay. a way of the strategic marketing. And, and this, so they are, I think they should get the credit for coining the term. And then I think what we did was really, my goodness, when I was running marketing at Pardot uh, and we went through the whole acquisition of Exactoriate and then spent a couple of years at Salesforce, there was a moment in time where I remember we hit every single record in number of leads. And I was feeling pumped. The team was feeling pumped. And I remember when on my sales counterpart came to me and said, hey, Sanger, awesome job this year for crushing it on the number of leads. Can you give us thousand more leads every month starting next month. And I just sank in my seat because at that very moment, John, I felt like I'm a coin coin operated lead machine that is expected to deliver leads from this magical place where we all expect have unlimited amount of leads and market. And nobody I felt understood or saw this problem that Forrester reported in 2015, which is that less than 1% of the leads turn to customers. So that literally kind of, you know, hurt me deep, right? It just made me kind of sick of myself. It's like, what am I doing here? And that led to, you know, the terminus and the co-founding of it and the flip model community. But all that started with a very clear problem that I faced straight up in my face. And I couldn't, ha- I didn't have an answer for that question. So to me, all of this goes back to like, I just, I personally, and hopefully through because we are one of the, I'm one of the founders and, and as our, this is our DNA, we all at Terminus have become passionate about solving this problem at all costs. And if that means partnering up with competitors, if that means taking a back seat and, and not putting our product first, but putting our customer first, if that means we have to let go of certain stereotypical things that companies should do, that's okay because we are not here for short term. We're here for the long term. Yeah. Do you remember like what company was number two to like start talking about it? Like, did you go on one of your competitors' website and you're like, oh my gosh, yeah. can you talk about ABM too? Yeah, I think that this is the funniest thing. Uh, so the same month I joined Terminus as a co-founder uh, and started John Miller from Engageo, the same month they launched uh, Engageo. And he was running marketing at Marketo before I was running marketing at Pardot before. So it was really interesting that, wait a minute. Can we ever be friends? Do we always have to compete <laughs> in the world? But I'm a huge fan of John and, and what they're doing. And I really feel like if it wasn't for him to also jump into it, because that he brought in a big weight of Marketo, co-founder and CMO, us kind of playing our small part. And then there's demand base. It was already there for about 10, 15 years, but they kind of haven't really fully embraced the ABM, but now they are. But they also started this. I think it just started to move a lot of companies forward. Uh, some of it was there and some of them were new, but it really came together because I think we hit this point at in early to 2015, where there were marketers who had adopted marketing automation for over three, four, five, six, seven years, and they still haven't seen any value out of it, right? They all were still using marketing automation as an email marketing tool. 
they were not using marketing automation for what it was supposed to. In, in many ways, people thought it's like, oh, it's going to generate more revenue. No, no, no. It's only automating your marketer's job so he doesn't have to, or he or she doesn't have to create 20 landing pages or he doesn't have to, uh, he or she doesn't have to create 20 cent emails or the emails can go automatically when they're sleeping, right? Like that's, that's what marketing automation did. It automated marketer's job. It didn't create the other part, which is the revenue as people thought and looked at it. So people were looking for something better and new. And I think the timing, we're lucky enough to be at the right place at the right time, more so than anything. Yeah, that's a, uh, I think that's a huge component. I've been, I, I interviewed um, Christopher Lockhead on, on a category design episode. I think he's mentioned at least once, you know, there's nothing more powerful than a, than a great idea whose time has come. <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, I honestly, it's funny you say that because I was talking to him last week on, on this, this whole idea. And um, he and I love, like we love, we jammed on this idea of like, I hate the phrase product market fit because it 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 marginalizes it marginalizes the idea behind the problem. Like category leaders create market. They don't go in an existing market and try to wiggle their way in. That that's just not the nature of category creation. You so for us to for us, we didn't come in and say, oh, let's look at marketing automation and let's have a slice of marketing automation. No, no, no. We were defining a market that didn't exist before. And I think that's a very critical part of a category leadership process. So he and I were jamming about it. So I always love to call it like, it's not about the product market fit. It comes later on. It's probably second or third step. The first step is problem market fit. Are enough people, is there enough market talking about this problem? And if there is, then you can create a product and sell. But if you do a conference and three people show up tomorrow, you know that that problem is not big enough. Yeah. So what you just said, it reminded me of something Mike Volpe told me on, I think the first episode in this series, he's got a great blog post about this. Maybe you've read it. It's, it's super short, but it's one of my all time favorite blog posts. And he basically says, look, every company, you've got two decisions. You can either build a better mousetrap or you can des design a new category. And you know, there's both approaches are valid. There's companies who've been very, very, very successful in, in either um, approach. But what I, when I think back on that post, what I, what I think is so interesting is that in like classical marketing, like education, we're all taught that like you, your job is to like take market share away from someone else. Like that's the paradigm in like business school and marketing classes. Not, not, I'm not saying like every book about marketing is like this, but like, that's like the standard approach. And, and I'm just curious, like, why do you think that this idea of creating a new category is not given like equal weight? in like in marketing education and marketing literature? I think it's hard. Like if you, if you look at 8,000 plus B2B SaaS providers today in the landscape that Scott Brinker put together, there's all 8,000 plus MarTech companies today. How many of them are category leaders? Like probably we could say like five, right? And, or maybe six, like, you know, there's email category leader, I mean, there are, there are a bunch of categories, don't get me wrong, but when you think about category leadership, it's like there's, you don't have an analytics category leader today. You don't have the web personalization category leadership today. You, don't, I mean, you just don't have. So I think there's only four or five in, in all senses. Like you know, in 2000, it was email, then marketing automation truly became, predictive kind of became, but then kind of fizzled out, and then ABM. And maybe, maybe, maybe one more category somewhere, but that's it. 
So it's hard. It's extremely hard. It's not standard. And it takes a completely different mindset of CEOs and founders to, to look at it that way because it is not the proven way. And then when you look at VCs who are putting money in these organizations, they're looking for a short-term win, short-term results. So unless you are in a long-term kind of win strategy thought process, it is extremely hard to, to really fight the uphill battle. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that totally makes sense. It's like that positioning strategy, it only applies to a small handful of customers. Yeah. Or sorry, not customers, uh, businesses. Businesses. And, and the part that I remember reading, which one was this? Oh, yeah. The book, Positioning by, uh, you know, Jack Trout and Al Reese. And I think one of the points they made is that if you, if you don't position yourself, somebody else will position you. And that stuck with me. Is like, that's why I fought tooth and nail in the very first month or two months or when we started doing this is like, Hey, we need to be on G2 Crowd. G2 Crowd, we don't want you to put us in an advertising bucket. We want you to create a, 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 a category. I had like 20 emails back and forth with them in the very early days. And we had to convince them. And, and I don't fault them because they did the right thing. They were like, no, no, you guys do. I'm like, yeah, that's what we do now. But that's not the whole point. This is not the customer. We're not trying to create a paper plate. We don't put us as an agent. So all these things, because we're trying to position ourselves. And that was such an important battle and fight to have. Now, some CEOs and some founders may be okay to be positioned in an existing market because they're like, oh, at least finally we have a spot, right? But right. You position yourself and say that, no, 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 we're going to create a new box. I know this box doesn't exist, but trust me, there is a box and there are going to be more companies here. Let's create this box and convince the market and the and leaders like GD Proud and others and analysts because analysts are also coming behind, right? We look at analysts as if they're going to tell us everything, but the reality is we have to convince analysts that this is the next big thing. And then they come verbatim back to you and say, oh yeah, this is the next big thing, right? Like that, I've, I felt that over and over again. ABM wasn't in any analyst 2020 roadmap or 2015 roadmap in any of their thought process. And all of a sudden, it's an everyone's not magic quarter. Well, what happened? Well, they looked at the positioning of companies like, like ourselves, but others, and say, oh, yeah, there is a box now that we didn't see, and now let's make that box as a quarter. So I feel like it's, it's an uphill battle almost at all levels, in, at the level of fighting with your or working with your investors to say that this is a long-term play and we need to invest in it and, and we need to call it something different and we're not going to try to build just a better mousetrap. You're going to create a new design. It's, it's an uphill battle there. It's an uphill battle with customers who are like, I know you've never heard about this thing, but let me tell you how awesome it is. It's going to change your life. It's going to be incredible and you'll be the first person to use it. So we will see what happens, right? So it's an uphill battle with your customer. Uh, it's an uphill battle with the, with the whole market perception because all of a sudden you, you are talking about something that people have not heard about. So you have to start creating, maybe we, in our case, we, we wrote a book on it to establish category and, and got value to publish it. We built a conference on, on it. So we did our own playbook but people can do their own playbook, whatever makes sense to them, but they have to figure out a way to position themselves. And it's a choice if you want to be positioned or you want to create a position for your organization. So there's so much evangelization that, that has to take place. Uh, you, you mentioned investors, you mentioned the market, uh, you mentioned analysts. How about your own team? Like, What was your process like on selling them on, on the dream and, let, and, and equipping them to actually talk to customers in an effective manner? Oh man, I think uh, 
I, I, we still do this where our number one slide deck in our sales process is the flip funnel, right? Here's the old funnel and here's the new funnel and here's what, why we feel it's broken and this is why. So we, we make sure that that is part of our onboarding, sales training, and our customer training, all of that get together. But it was, it was still very difficult. Now, for in our case, going back to we are super lucky to be at the right place at the right time, talking about the right, one of the things that mattered at that time, where our growth was so fast. Like, we were, we were, man, we still are growing. We went from people, found us about 200 people in four years. So our growth uh, has just been tremendously fast. And it was because the market just exploded. And, and we remember, I remember that when we did the very first conference in Atlanta, we, the response from that conference, because it wasn't about products, and, and we still end up closing a ton of deals from it, because it wasn't about product, and the, the response was so good that the sponsors that were at the conference, as well as the speakers who were speaking at the conference said, hey, when is the next conference? We want to sign up right now. Like, it was the reverse. So we, were, we had no idea. And we're like, okay, well, what if you did it in the next few weeks, a uh, few months in, in a different city? They're like, yeah, sure, sign up. And so we ended up doing four conferences called Flip My Funnel with the same crew of sponsors and speakers, like literally taking the gospel of ABM to all of these places. Because if we can get all the people to us, because they don't, nobody knows us, let's go to them first evangelize. It was a very different marketing approach instead of doing a small event. We did 300, 600 people event in different cities in the first year of our existence to build the community of understanding and the conversations to flow. And as soon as the conversation started to flow, then we brought it back to this one, once a year conference. So there's so many different ways to do it. And evangelism, internal, external, it's, just, it's an ongoing thing. And I think that goes back to what you started this conversation with in that you're evangelizing the problem. You're not evangelizing Terminus or your software or how, how great it is. I highly doubt any of those sponsors or speakers would have jumped at the chance and asked you to, to like when they can, can they sign up for the next conference if it had been a Terminus conference. But because it was about something bigger than you, yeah. it totally made sense and was in line with their own interests. Yeah, I mean, they, they, we, I think we earned the trust at the first conference of not only uh, the community, not only the customers that we have, very few at that time, not only some of the sponsors, but the trust of our competitors, which is so interesting. And they all signed up to sponsor three or four or five conferences after that. And, and I think that, that meant a lot to me personally, because I feel like that means we did something right, not something that is good for business, that is some, just something that is just right. Yeah. You guys have done a lot of things right over the last, uh, you know, four or five years. But I, so I want to ask you a question that's kind of going to turn that around a little bit. And I asked this, I, I think I asked it of Heidi. I think I asked Mike as well, but if you could go back four or five years, give yourself advice, you know, saying at the early days of Terminus, what would you tell yourself and what would you do differently? Oh man, that's rough because I think a lot of our crazy bets have worked out and, and we didn't think they, they would have. I think I would have, gone probably more aggressive on customer education. What I mean by that is I think even now people are jumping on this idea because it makes perfect sense to do account-based marketing. Yeah, go out for the right people and the right accounts and engage them on their terms. It makes perfect sense. Like, duh. Yeah. But it breaks down when you get to the how, which means that People are excited, they jump in and they buy Terminus or they buy some other platform to do ABM. 
and they're like, okay, I get it now, but how do I do it? Because all I have is Salesforce and marketing automation platform that focuses on leads and wait a minute, we don't have accounts. So what do we do? Like, and so I think it's like this go, 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 go. And then completely stopping your tracks and trying to figure out what is my next step. And I think we didn't do enough education on how, and we ended, we ended up doing a lot more education on the why, which helped us build the category, but we didn't do enough content, enough things in the early days on how to get started, how to do certain things, how to plan your first 60 days, how to do those kind of things. And we didn't know any better at that time. So I would, if I were to go back, I would prioritize on the how as much as the why, because I think people, people definitely need it. A lot of people got burned, I feel. Uh, I, when I hear from very successful CMOs who got in early and they are saying, what well, medium doesn't work? And when I dig in a couple of layers, I realize that they just didn't do it the right way, but they're like so burned that they're like, oh man, I think I'm going back to my, like, you know, so I feel like a lot of us have happened. And again, I keep going back to this idea that it is a hundred percent strategy. So no tool is ever going to help you do that better than your own team and systems working together. So I feel like we would have spent more time on education. More time on education. It's, it feels like the why it's necessary. Like you can't not do the why you can't just do the how, right? Right. But you're saying like, because if you had like ramped up the how a little bit more, you would have had, you would have given people an easier time to translate that why into something actionable. Exactly. All right. Well, Sangram, I know you ask all of your guests on the show, same question. So of course I'm going to have to ask you the same thing. What is one challenge you want to leave our listeners with today? Do something unscalable like today, like just do something super unscalable because I think that those are the things that cut to the heart and make have a lot of impact. I think most things in marketing that we do are, are scalable, uh, but the things that we do want that are unscalable that works. For example, go write a thank you letter to your coworker, like literally physical, take a pen, go to dollar store, get a $1 card, write a physical thank you note to a coworker. Um, or if you're in customer success, go write a thank you letter for your customer that, that has been working with you or go to Amazon and buy something for them that you know they need uh, or they would love or they care. Like just do something that's super unscalable, break the routine and just see what happens and, and see what, what the feeling give, give comes back to you. I think those are the moments that, uh, that we all need to do more. Do something unscalable. Love it. I think that's a great way to, to end the conversation. Man, Sangra, man, thanks so much for, for being on, on the show. I, I just really enjoyed speaking with you. And it's just, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for doing this whole series, man. It's going to be a blast. Sangram here. All right. You already might have heard that I launched my newest book, ABM is B2B. So I want to give you a gift for being a podcast listener for some of you have been listening it for the whole year and a half and, and send me so many messages. So I want to gift you. I want to gift you a copy of the book. I'm not asking you to buy. I'm literally gifting you the copy of the book. So if you text me at 33777 with the keyword ABM is B2B, simple as that. Text me when you get a chance. Don't, don't drive and text like when you stop. It will be in the show notes. So just take a look at it. The keyword is ABM is B2B and text me that keyword at 33777. It will add, ask you for a physical address so I can ship you the book. And I just want to say thank you. I am super excited. Hopefully I can 
uh, get this book to as many of you who have been a loyal listeners and evangelist of the Flip Platform Podcast. Talk to you soon. You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel Podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you have an iPhone, we'd love for you to open the Apple Podcasts app and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.